You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us today as we jump into our series on the book of Acts. We'll see the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the followers of Jesus through obstacles, growth, miracles, and joy. The book of Acts is not only the story of those early disciples, it's our story too, a story to be continued. So get ready, God is on the move. Well, good morning, church. How many love Jesus today? It's a great moment to clap. I want to say a special welcome to everyone, Emmanuel Online, all the other locations of Emmanuel. We're at Spring Lake Park. I want to say a special shout out to Elk River, uh, Maple Grove, and Lakeville. Can we show our love to our other locations from Spring Lake Park here? And we can hear the other locations also sharing their love this way. So good to be together in God's house. Love the opportunity to jump into season two, episode two of the book of Acts. And as we have been learning, God was at work through the early church 2,000 years ago, and he did an amazing thing through those early believers. And it's not just a snapshot, uh, early account of what only happened back then. This is something that was meant to be continued, something that we get to also walk in and we get to also experience as God's favor continues to move in our lives. Amen. So if you did not uh, see or listen to the previous messages in the book of Acts, I want to encourage you to go catch up. Loved hearing from Pastor Joe Banks, our Lakeville location pastor this past Sunday. Can we just show Pastor Joe some love as well? And uh, thank you so much for an amazing message. Talked about how uh, it started, how it continued. Talked about barriers that would prevent us from sharing faith. And today we're going to talk about growing pains. And some of you are like, ah, oh, is there not something a little more exciting? Remember uh, when my son, Santiago, who's over there, Santi, wave at me. Thank you so much. He always reports by taking a picture from wherever he's watching. And uh, remember when he was growing, he was, uh, he's 17 now. He was probably 12. He would wake up in the middle of the night and screaming, bloody murder. And it was just like, what is going on? My legs, they're there's cramping and there's pain. And, 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 uh, and so we'd run and, and, and comfort him and then just say, you're not going to lose your legs. You're not going to die today. It's, it's just, this is a normal part of your, your, your body is developing and it's growing. And, uh, as you're, as you're developing, there is some pain, your muscles adjusting to your, your structure that's growing. It's a normal part of growth. And, uh, and you know, he has surpassed me in heights and uh, I passed my dad in heights as well. In, in, in probably in 10 generations, we'll be, break the five foot 10 inches mark. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trending really strong. And uh, remember when I was a teenager, I, I, uh, I, I hit one of my growth spurts and I was, I was excited. And so I went out and bought tennis shoes, optimistic tennis shoes, size 13 tennis shoes. I'm a size nine. Nine and a half because my feet are getting wider now and uh, under the weight. And so the, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't end up using those size 13. They're probably, you know, it got donated or given away. But, um, you know, I'm proud of my son, passed me in height, and I'm proud of him getting through his growth spurts and also enduring the growing pains. Now, growing pains accompany growth spurts. And the same happened to the body of Christ as we look at it in the book of Acts. They had all kinds of different tensions. And I would, I would actually say, if you're not experiencing some growing pains, then you probably have stopped growing. 
And, uh, and I'm not talking physically. I'm speaking like to the soul. Because I know physically we'll start shrinking at some point, right? But uh, if you're not experiencing some of the different wrestling with questions and issues in your journey of faith, then what has probably happened is you've stopped growing or you've insulated yourself from anything that could rock your boat and you're probably getting stuck in your faith. And I love how scripture describes the journey of those early believers and how they, they were very human and they were very, they, they, you know, wholeheartedly wrestled with the issues and the things that, that were happening in, in their, in their development as a community of faith. And we're going to read about uh, chapter 15 of the book of Acts when they, they get to a point where they've got new questions that are coming up. And uh, this is just like parenting. Anyone who is a parenting, you can agree with me that we're always one operating system behind. We're always like, we're always operating with like the previous stage. And we need to up, we need to get up our game and download the new operating system. You know, what worked when they were toddlers does not work when they're elementary age, does not work when they're teenagers, does not work, you know. And so we need to keep on learning and growing, right? And uh, so... Acts 15, verse 1, says, While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently, until finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. I love that it frames it as a question. So picture this. Paul and Barnabas, they're at a church service in Antioch, and the announcement portion of the service comes up, and then someone stands up and says, and today, uh, I want to also mention, want to remind you, fifth Sunday of July, we also have circumcision for anyone who does want to be part of our community. You can sign up on the app. You can go out to the Connect Centers, and you can let us know. We still have limited space, and so you're going to want to run and make sure that you can sign up. Remember, this is a big part. You cannot be part of our community unless you attend circumcision, right? And uh, Paul and Barnabas looked at each other like, no, this is, something's off with this. This is not, no, no, this is not, this is not. It. And they were saying, you can't be saved. And so it's almost like saying what Jesus did on the cross was great. It was almost complete, Right? You do need to jump through this other hoop, and then it'll be complete. And so they, they, they're wrestling with this. And chapter 15 of, uh, of Acts is actually one of the moments where we get faith articulated, defined, and organized. And you're like, oh no, not organized, organized religion. I'm against organized religion. I'm all for God, but I don't like uh, God's family much. And some have been hurt. They've been traumatized by by the humanity of the church, and, uh, and I don't want to undermine that, but I do want to present to you that as we wrestle with questions, we're going to look for clarity, and we're going to look for definition that we, can, that we can agree to and find harmony in. That's exactly what the church was doing here. Anyone who says, I don't believe in organized religion or organized spirituality, just wait. In a couple of years, they will have organized their own thing. Because definition is necessary if you're going to make progress, if you're going to move forward. And, uh, and, and, and Paul and Barnabas, they, they don't want to just dismiss and say, well, forget you guys, or why don't we just kick the Gentiles out? It was so much easier when we didn't have to wrestle with questions like this. 
They said, you know what? We need to wrestle with this so we can continue to grow in what God has started in our community. And so they go back to Jerusalem and there's this big meeting that happens and, uh, and they've got to figure out what they're going to cling to, what is essential, what are they going to hold on to, and what are the things that are not essential, that are not universal, that are not applicable to every season, every age, every culture. I love how the church did this. They didn't just dismiss it. They didn't brush over it. They did the hard work of talking about it, praying through, and finding that definition says in uh, Acts 15, and, and the first thing I want to I wanna, uh, point you to is we need to cling to, we need to hold on to grace. Can you say that with me? Hold on to grace. And so we're like, where is grace? Who is grace, right? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is understanding I am insufficient. My efforts, my merit, my actions will never be enough. I need God. I need God to step in. I need God to do what I cannot do in my own strength. Grace is God taking the initiative, sending Jesus to accomplish what we cannot do. If we could do it in our own strength, Jesus would not have come to die on the cross. But Jesus came to carry the burden of the consequences of our sin so that we could have an opportunity for a new beginning, for fresh life, for, for a new and abundant life that he extends to us. Grace is understanding that the foundation of everything is the work of, of Jesus on our behalf. And then we build our lives on that. We lean into what God does. So it says in Acts 15, 7, at the meeting, after a long discussion, they're in Jerusalem, right? Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. What a great phrase. Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with the yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way. How many say amen to that? By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. That's our foundation. We need to hold on to that. We need to hold on to grace. Now, if we... If we end up letting go of grace, we're going we're gonna to drift off into merit-based spirituality. We're going to try to do it in our own strength. We're going we're gonna to confuse excellence in the, in, in the honest pursuit of excellence with perfectionism. And we're going to get frustrated and we're going to feel the, the burden and the weight of it. That's what the Pharisees lived. They were like, oh, we just got to try harder. I just got to do it with a little more effort next time. And then what happens when you're, when you're crushed under your own unattainable, uh, you know, measures and things that you want to accomplish and, and you're not leaning into grace, then, then what happens? You get frustrated. You start pointing at other people and you become judgmental and cherry picking and ranking sins. And you're like, well, I'm not as, as bad as that person over there. And then we start looking for specks in others' eyes and we forget the plank that's in our own eye because we've drifted away from grace. Grace is a reminder that we need Jesus at the center that he needs to be our savior, that he needs to be our Lord. How many know everyone needs a savior? Amen. No one is good enough. No one has tried hard enough. No one is efficient enough 
to not need Jesus. We all need Jesus as our Savior. On the other hand, if we drift from grace, we're like, oh, grace. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want. I can just, you know, I, it's, it's an unlimited, t- it's an all-inclusive, right? I can just, I can just wave the, uh, hey, Jesus paid it all. And uh, I can just go on sinning and I can, do, I can live recklessly. I can be self-centered. I can be selfish. I can do, it doesn't matter. I'll just say a prayer and patch it up that way. That's not a real understanding of grace. To embrace grace is to say, God, Jesus gave his life so I could live. Now I surrender my life so that you can accomplish your purpose and your will in me. Amen? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find a hundred times more in this life and ever after in eternity. So hold on to grace. Turn to the person next to you and say, hold on to grace. Make sure they listen. I want to uh, mention something quick. When someone has sinned, I know that all of you, it's been years since you've sinned. So just try to, try to imagine or remember what that was like, right? When someone has sinned and they're either caught or they're convicted, the way they respond will show how, how far along they are in the journey of repentance. Because true repentance doesn't explain, defend, or justify sin. Okay? So if, if I have truly repented, I'm not going to say, hey, I realize I did this thing and I'm sorry, but let me explain. Here's what happened. And here's why I did, because what's, go- what's going on? I'm in the mindset and in the logic that led me to sin in the first place. The farther along I am in the journey of true repentance, and I've turned from sin, I've turned towards God, the more ridiculous sin seems, the more foolish, the more unreasonable, and the more even embarrassing sin seems to us. True repentance says, I cannot defend those actions. I cannot defend those thoughts. I cannot defend those reactions. I need grace, and I need God to change me, to transform me, so I don't default to that anymore. Thank God he is powerful enough to lead us out of cycles of sin and lead us into a humble embracing of his grace. Amen? Second, hold on to the word. How many of you guys brought your Bibles? Uh, Lift them in the air like Pastor Nate says, wave them in the air like you just don't care. And then how about your uh, digital versions? You can wave those at me uh, as well. And uh, as we hold on to Scripture we find the framework. So if Jesus' grace is the foundation, Scripture is the, is the framework for us to be able to navigate all kinds of, of challenging issues and decisions and crossroads. I love what, what happened in Acts 15. So they're in this big meeting, and they've been, they've been arguing. Peter gets up, and he's like, hey, remember this happened and that? We need to just, we need to come back to the essence. Grace you know, faith in, in Jesus' sacrifice, that's the foundation for everything. We can't burden people with more than that. And, uh, and, then, and then we see uh, in verse 13, when they had finished, James, one of the other leaders of the church, stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And James is saying, okay, how do I interpret this whole thing with the framework of Scripture? As it is written, 
Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. It will, it, I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. So James says, okay, the best way to find wisdom when we're at a crossroads is to turn to God's written word, to scripture as the framework. Amen. And, uh, and, and this is, it's key because if not, we'll turn to our past experience. We'll turn to our favorite podcast. We'll turn to a dream we had last night. We'll turn to the loudest voice on our social media feed. We'll turn to whatever else. And that might not inform us or give us the wisdom that we need to make the right choices. We need to hold on to God's word. This is essential. It's universal. It's for every season, every age, every culture. It's, it's, it's the rule of faith. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in the lives of others. That's not what it says. <laughs> to teach us what is wrong in our own lives, our own shortcomings, our own blind spots, our own limitations. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture illuminates the next step for our daily walk. It says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. But we need to make room for God's voice and for God's word in our, in our life. And you can, I mean, there's a, a way that we do this corporately. Today, we're leaning into God's word to pursue him, to gain insight, to grow, to correct what is wrong in our own journey. But then we need to do this individually as well. And, and, and I just want to say the following. The only way we can fix biblical illiteracy, and it's so prevalent in our day and age around the world, especially in America, the only way we can fix biblical illiteracy is to lean into God's word. I was, originally, I was going to say it was to read God's word. But in reality, you know what? We can listen to it. You can watch someone read it on YouTube. You can, you can, we, we need to lean in to God's word. We have the least excuses. We have the most access to God's word. But we also live in a very distracted generation, a very distracted reality. We need to be intentional in making space and room for God to speak to us. Is it early in the morning? Is it late at night? Do you, uh, you know, do your lunch break, take a walk. I've loved doing this once in a while. Take a walk on, on trails and listen to God's word, listen to worship, you know, be, be connected with him, draw away from distractions and, and just make sure that you're creating space to meet with the Lord and to be able to lean into his word. If we don't lean into his word, what's going to happen? We're going to lack that framework. We're going we're gonna to lack the anchor. We're going to lack the foundation. We're going to lack the self-awareness. We're not going to get corrected in the things that we need correction. We're not going to get grown in the things that need to grow. We're not going to get pruned in the things that need to get pruned. And we're going to lose our, our anchor and, and our grounding voice as we navigate these incredible days that we get to live in. What voices are we listening to? How are we keeping Scripture present in our journey. When are we making room for God's voice? Scripture is our framework, our instruction guide, the map to live the way it should be lived. 
if we drift away from holding on to scripture, we're going to miss out on God's framework for clarity when it comes to current events, debates, ideologies, philosophies. What does God say about life? What does God say about sexuality? What does God say about relationships? What does God say about my body? What does God say about my thoughts? What does God say about my identity? And this is the framework for us to find clarity as individuals and as a community of faith. How many say amen to that? So just like James did, they wrestled with questions and the way they did it, they said, hey, let's go back to scripture to see what God has stated, what he has said, and we'll find clarity in that. The third thing I want to mention that we need to hold on to is hold on to Jesus community. Hold on. I'm not, don't grab your neighbor right now, okay? They might freak out. You might, you might startle them. But I'm talking about the community of faith, the, the, the disciples, the believers, the followers of Jesus, the family of God, Emmanuel, God with us. It's so easy to unhitch and detach from the community of faith, from Jesus' community. Sometimes because we get in the habit of, of not connecting often. Sometimes because we allow an offense to grow into something that draws a wedge between us and that individual. And then before we know it, it draws a wedge between us and the whole family. Sometimes shame can get in the way and we feel like I can't be connected to the community because of this or that. And, and, and there's so many reasons and excuses for us to draw away. Sometimes it's just the effort of unity is it's just, it's like, what's the use? Why would I even try but I love what they did in Acts 15, because it would have been easy to just, hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just kick the Gentiles off. Let's just give them, like, let's have, have them do their own thing. Have them, like, you know, come up with your own rules. But that wasn't what God wanted to do. And so they wrestled with this, and they actually, they landed on an agreed-upon approach, and they wrote a letter and then they sent this letter to all the different churches. And so here's what we got as we're reading in Acts 15, 23. This is a letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men have here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching. But we did not send them. So we decided having come to a complete agreement to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm that we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered idols, from consuming blood or the meat of a strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Short, sweet, to the point, right? Sorry for the long text. And, uh, and, and the believers, look how they respond. The message went at once to Antioch, where they were called a general meeting of the believers and delivered a letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. They said, you mean... We don't have to come on fifth Sunday for circumcision class. And, uh, and everyone was rejoicing because they were like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, <laughs> never were they so grateful for the sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross, right? 
Now, you got to remember that these, these are communities that had not, they weren't connected to, to the teaching of Moses and the Old Testament. They, they lived all kinds of different realities. They lived immersed in, you know, we're talking, you know, in Rome, we're talking in Greece, we're talking in modern day Turkey. And, uh, and so a lot of places that, you know, polygamy was prevalent and there was just all kinds of different, there was uh, religious syncretism and all kinds of religions floating around. And these guys, they're trying their hardest to really pursue God. And they're like, how do we do it? And, and I love how the, the believers in Jerusalem, they're like, you know what? Let's just not make it harder than it needs to be, right? We can't carry that burden. Why are we going to put it on someone else's shoulder? Let's just, let's go to what's essential and request that of them. And so they asked for four different things. And the interesting thing is one of them, one of them is, you know, abstain from sexual immorality. So they got to redefine and reset their understanding of intimacy and, and, and what marriage means within God's plan. But then three of those other items are related to the unity of the table. Isn't that interesting? Three of them have to do with the moment when they're gathering together to break bread. And, and, and they say, you know what, These, there's some things that, you know, if you, if you come and you eat food that was sacrificed, that's really going to draw a rift. It's, you know, it, it's really going to create tension at the table. And, uh, and, and if we can just find a way to choose harmony and love above our own preferences, then we'll be able to favor unity and harmony, Right. And, uh, and, 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 and they received it with joy. And it was, and it was great. You know that the Old Testament, if we, you know, a lot, some people have counted the amount of rules and laws in the Old Testament. In fact, there's a, a Jewish approach to it called the mitzvah that counts 613 different rules and laws. Can you imagine, welcome Emmanuel. Thank you so much for coming. Please fill out the connect card. Okay, here's your uh, handbook with 613 rules and regulations that you need to follow. If you want to be part of us and, uh, and, and that you're not going to hear that at Emmanuel, by the way, that was just, that was tongue in cheek. If you're visiting, that was not for you. Right? <laughs> so what happened was the apostles are like, let's just, let's really hold on to what's essential. Let's not make it harder than it needs to be. There's certain parameters and guidelines that God has established. And, uh, and, and I love, we're going to read some from the book of Romans. If you read Romans 13, 14, 15, there's certain things that are really clearly stated, but then there's a lot of other things that are non-essential and that Paul would call matters of conscience. Remember uh, growing up, my folks learned from other parents that uh, they simplified the, the house rules for us kids as we were growing up. And I love having my parents here and my sister visiting from California today. And that uh, we grew up, there was three rules growing up, honesty, obedience, and respect. That's what it was all boiled down to that, right? We've, we've carried that over to our, our, uh, our own uh, household. And uh, Zoe, my 14-year-old daughter, amen to that. Amen. Santi, amen to that. 17-year-old son. Yeah, he said amen. Respect the moment, Santi. And so rather than saying, kids, 613 rules, memorize them by dinner tonight, and we're going to quiz you on them, Right? We said, hey, let's just, as a family, these are our values. These are the things we want to do. The New Testament does something similar to that because it boils it all down to the essence and the heart of it all is love God and let me say God's way and love your neighbor God's way. 
Love God, God's way. Love your neighbor, God's way. It all boils down to that. All of the law, all of the expectations of God are fulfilled in that. I want to read um, from Romans 14, in, uh, and, and, and I wanted to include the whole chapter because it's so rich. But before we go there, I want to illustrate this through a, a, a quick story uh, I want to tell you actually happened at a Christmas service here at Spring Lake Park years ago. And uh, my friend Udo is going to bring out a Christmas tree. Some of you Hallmark fans are, you're like, yes, Christmas in July. And some of you are like, no, not yet. I want to know how many days till Christmas. Thank you, Udo. You did amazing at decorating this. Um, we, were, we had a Christmas service going on here at Spring Lake Park and, uh, years and years ago. And uh, over off to this section over here, a, a, a friend of mine, he, he took it on himself. He's like, I, you know, this is a hill to die on for me. I'm, I'm not about this whole like Christmas tree, Christmas uh, celebration thing. Not that he was like, you know, an ally of the Grinch or anything, but he was, he's like, no, no, we can't do this. And so he, he became a heckler at one of our uh, Christmas services and he stood up and he said, Jesus was not born on the 25th of December. And he kept on yelling that during the service. And, uh, and just like, that was his thing. He was going to cling to that and hold on to that. That was the, and, uh, and so we, we had a conversation later and, uh, I said, so what date was Jesus born? And he's like, I don't know. So, ah, so you can't say it wasn't the 25th of December, right? And I said, the main thing is not the date. It's the fact he was born, right? And a lot of times we get hung up on non-essential things. We cling to these things and we miss the bigger point. And we're going to hear from Paul. He's addressing all these different cultural developments and items and tensions that are going on. And he's always, this is what he's going to teach. This is what he's going to teach. So listen as we're reading it. Choose love. Say that with me. Choose love. Above personal freedom. And above personal restriction. Okay? So remember that phrase. So let's read Romans 14, verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge them. They stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval in the same way some think that one day is more holy than another, be it Saturday, be it Sunday, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor them. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and to give thanks to God. So Paul is really giving, he's giving a principle, a guiding principle to be able to relate to the community of faith, the community of Jesus. We're going to have different focuses, backgrounds, traditions, uh, things that, that are part of our upbringing. And it would just be easier to unhitch and say, hey, go do your own thing. You don't think like me. I don't want to be friends with you. But that's not. That's not what Jesus guides us to do. He, he guides us to find unity 
even with the variety and the diversity that is within his family. And so it could be food, it could be uh, days, it could be drink, it could be dress, it could be, you know, all kinds of things. He's going to, so the, you know, the principle plays out in different areas here, but it's always the same. If you have a certain restriction, don't judge others according to that, because God is a better judge than we are. Amen. If you've got a certain freedom or liberty, don't belittle or undermine or, or think less of your brother or sister because they serve God and God will give them grace. And we're, we're all on the journey. We're all different stages of the journey. And God has brought us together. And that's the beauty of the church. Let me just say this. If you don't have anyone in your life that, that, that kind of thinks a little bit different, creates a little bit of tension with your framework, then you've probably confused unity with uniformity. You've just chosen to surround yourself with like-minded people, and, and that's all. Your algorithm on your feed has helped feed that, and, uh, and you just got, you're just like, hey, if you either look like me or you don't count, you don't exist, right? And, uh, and the reality is the church will always struggle and wrestle with holding unity and love above personal preference, okay? About to get personal. When I had to announce a couple years back that we were choosing to use masks in services, you cannot imagine the amount of feedback I got on every side of the equation. You know why we did that? Because we weren't going to allow a piece of cloth or a mask to outweigh the value of our brothers and sisters. So can I keep on reading and just watch how this plays out? So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting out of love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Ooh. Food, piece of cloth, artificial Christmas tree. Is this the hill we're going to die on? Like, you're like, don't even dare speak ill of Hallmark in Christmas. Let me keep my traditions. Don't touch my tree. Don't touch my preferences. Don't, you know, and, 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 and we, can, we can end up embracing and clinging to something that's non-essential and forget the community that God has connected us to. Remember when we were pastoring uh, years ago with, within the Hispanic ministry here, it first started out, some of our brothers and sisters came from traditions in their own countries where uh, it wasn't common for women to wear pants. And uh, my first reaction was like, oh, I'm going to have to help them see and find freedom, find freedom so they can buy some jeans. And, uh, and, and God... He's like, slap me. And he's like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you judging? Why are you condemning? Why are you looking down on? Trust me. Let, you know, let her be. 
And he convicted me because I was imposing my preferences and measuring someone else according to that with something that's not essential. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And I want to end with this last portion from Romans 15. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive to things like this. We must not please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ did not live to please himself. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to hold tight to the family God has given us, to the community of Jesus, and say, you know what? I'm going to work towards building harmony. I'm going to work for unity. It's not always the easiest thing, but it's the path that Jesus has, has pointed out. It's a path that he has that he's leading me on. As I follow him, I'll find opportunities to build that unity. If you've been estranged from the family of God or you've been cut off because of offense or someone judged you or you undermined or you just, I want to I encourage you. Let God lead you beyond that point. Don't, don't let a personal preference or a personal background or tradition or something like that stand in the way of what is the most important to God. Jesus came to die for people, not for holiday traditions. Amen? Can we pray? Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your voice and your written word. Thank you, God, for the family that you've adopted us into. Thank you for the variety of the body of Christ. Not all of us are the same. We're not meant to be the same. The whole body is not an ear. It's not a hand. It's not an eye. It's, there's a beautiful complementation that happens as we pursue you. And I ask that you would continue to build us up and lead us into greater love, greater understanding, greater unity, greater harmony. And Lord, keep us from, from uh, Lord, being a hindrance to anyone's journey as they're pursuing you. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Wanna anyone anyone who knows me, you know I'm a fan of clapping. Not because I like you clapping for me, but I'm like, hey, that's a good moment to clap. And uh, I'm impressed when people find the right cues for that, right? So um, I do want to I want to say another prayer though before we partake of communion in just a moment. Would you just for an instant close your eyes and open your hearts? I wanna I wanna speak to those who today you're far from God. Maybe you got stuck under the weight of your own performance and you just, you've approached faith from effort and merit based and you're just like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't save myself. I need Jesus to be my savior. Maybe you're, you, you just drifted so far from God that, you know, you realize that you made some really poor choices. You've sinned and, uh, and today you feel like you're stuck there. Let me just give you some good news. God can change everything beginning today. 
And it starts when we turn to him, we turn from our sin, we turn to God, and we say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. So how many today, with every eye closed and hearts open, how many would say, I'm far from God, and I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? If that's you, can you just raise your hand where you're at? We'll say a prayer. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Man, God bless you. Could you say this prayer? Repeat it with me. And church, can you follow along and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross for, for me. And I turn from my sin today and I turn to you and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior from this day on. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate every decision that was made today? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, I want to congratulate you. I want to encourage you to partake of communion with us as we get prepared to, to do that. If you didn't receive the emblems today when you walked in, uh, raise your hand and our host will make sure that you're able to get them. We intentionally um, left the partaking of communion for this moment because it really ties into what we're talking about. Jesus could have chosen any different expression or ritual to, uh, to practice as a reminder, but he chose the setting of the table of, of eating together, of coming together. Communion is a reminder that yes, Jesus saved me as an individual, but he didn't save me alone. He made me part of an amazing community, an amazing family of men and women that are saved by grace. And through communion, we're reminded that we're not only connected to God, we're connected to each other. And as we take the bread today, we're reminded that God makes broken things whole. And I'll give you instruction in a moment. We'll pray and I'll give you instruction on when we're going to eat. But I want to I wanna say the following. I want to I wanna give the following appeal and challenge before we read scripture and pray together and partake, if you know that you have been kind of cut off or there's just a distancing with, within the body of Christ, maybe there's been a rift, there's been an offense, there's been something that's happened, there's been, unity has been affected between you and someone within the church, someone within the capital C church, the, the broader church, not only Emmanuel, and you say, you know what? I want to pursue unity. I want to pursue harmony. I want to pursue forgiveness. I want to pursue uh, God's peace. Sometimes there is reconciliation. Sometimes there's not. But sometimes we hold on to things in our heart, and that becomes that becomes an obstacle for us. And today, as we come to God, we draw near to God. We need to say, God, I want to be in, in peace with you, but in peace with others as well. So if you if you say, you know what, I've identified an area of my life where there's, you know, some of that unity's been broken and you want to pursue that. Can I ask you to do the same? Can you stand to your feet as we partake of communion together and just say, I want to take the steps towards unity. You can go ahead and do it right now. Go ahead and do it right now. And we're going to pray and partake together. And as, as you're standing, you're saying, I want God to bring wholeness where there's brokenness. God knows. I don't need to know. No one else needs to know what that story is. But you're taking that step and saying, I want, I want to, as far as I'm concerned, I want to seek peace. And I want to read what it says from 
1 Corinthians 11, and then I'll pray and we'll partake together. For I pass on to you what the, I received from the Lord himself. On the nights when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, as we hold this bread in our hands today, You've taught us to discern the body. We're not only thinking of the physical body of Christ on the cross. We're thinking, God, of the body of Christ present in this church. And Lord, we're mindful of the facts that you saved us each as individuals. We're grateful for that. But you saved us as part of a beautiful community. And Lord, look at the brokenness in our own stories. And I ask that, God, you would bring wholeness, that you'd bring restoration, that you'd bring reconciliation if possible. And God, that you would work in our hearts. And that you would help us, God, to overcome pain and, Lord, bitterness, if there's any in our hearts. Help us to overcome offense and help us, God, to do our part in pursuing unity and harmony today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. I'm going to invite everyone else to stand to your feet, if you could. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, we hold this cup in our hands as a reminder, as a grounding moment, as a reset moment in our awareness that every single one of us is saved through grace because of you, Lord Jesus. And today, God, this cup represents that commitment that you made to give your life for us. And it represents our commitment to live our lives surrendered to you. And Lord, as we drink today, we renew that commitment. We renew, Lord, our reliance on you. And we renew, Lord, our leaning into grace and embracing your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's drink together. Can you just, in your own words, just begin to thank him, begin to worship him, begin to say, God, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.